to the empire. At the end of the day, the Cuban revolution uh, gives hope to where there was no hope. Fidel said in the first Congress of the Communist Party of Cuba that Cuba was the last colonial holding of Spain in Latin America and today yeah. has become yes, the first socialist state in the Americas. So it was quite a quite a change that occurred in less than a century from the time of Jose Martí to the time of Fidel. Uh, as they say in Cuba, Martí promised it and Fidel fulfilled it. And the dream <laughs> of these uh, patriots is still being fulfilled every day by the Cuban people, by the patriots, by the communists that every day get up to work. Get up to work, not for pay, because they're not getting paid that much, but get up to make a nation, to make a revolution. I think that's uh, tremendously inspiring. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on, dude. Like That's some great work that the Troca Collective right, is, is doing and other coalition organizations right, along right. with you guys. That's exactly. awesome, man. Um, real quick, before, because yeah. <laughs> we want to talk about some stuff in the next 30 minutes, man. Yes. Um, my name is Jamar Jabari, and you're on here with Comrade Diggy Ortez. Uh, mm-hmm. or, um, this is uh, the Unsavory Politic, and thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always good to come in and discuss the politics here in Miami, in Peru, throughout the world, really, because we're all interconnected. So thank you again for your invitation. Hell yeah. So, awesome. Sorry, let me get my drink just so I don't cough too much while I'm talking. Yeah, no problem. I'll give you. I'll give a good introduction while you get your drink, my guy. Uh, Before we go into it, um, we're going to talk about a lot of variety of topics. Um, We got some stuff to cover uh, since you know, unsavory politics. Last episode has been on, Um, and everybody that's been watching. Everything that's been going on with the Jabari Vlog podcast, thank you so much uh, for for following those uh, good interviews. Uh, what's very very important is right now we are seeing a a panic of a democracy in the U.S. twenty four seven with the Cornell West uh, campaign. I myself have been attacked. Uh, listen, we got DJ, we got Diddy. What you've been attacked? <laughs> Not attacked like okay. um not physically, right? But like yeah, yeah. Online. online. My yes. my uh Twitter account, my Twitter and my TikTok account. Um uh, the TikTok got about like 500 views, but the Twitter uh video I did on Cornell West got over um 16,000 views and it was a lot of opinions and mm. majority of the census was this fear-mongering that I saw where Basically, people were saying, oh, so that means that you represent the Republicans. Great. How in the hell? <laughs> I, I, I am a Republican. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but, but for real, I have no conception of Democrats being better than Republicans. So if you call me a right. Republican, yo, the party of Lincoln, you know, the party of the radical Republicans, of black Republicans. So you know what? Call me a Republican. I'm going to fuck. <laughs> I'm being real. I have no time to play these games where Joe Biden yeah. is better or what? Like, 
Yeah. Anyway, I, I I cut you off. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Keep on going because I could rant is, all day. You say you know, how I, I feel. You know, <laughs> I could rant all day. I was in um, you know, in the third party movement myself, involved with the Green Party myself a few years mm-hmm. back, and I got to see the ups and downs of the Green Party. Uh, the mm-hmm. Green Party has a lot of work on its on its plate, right on its um docket. And a lot of work here means trying to stay on the ballot. It is right. very difficult to get on the ballot in any state of this country if you're not a monopoly capitalist party. And yep. it is uh, nigh impossible to get uh, in so, on the ballot in some places. I mean, in different states, they've changed the rules in the middle of elections. They've changed the right. rules in the middle of um, electoral cycles. They've... Uh, they've even counted off uh, signatures that they suspect they were fraudulent without looking at them one by one. I mean, it's just, it's a mess, right? That's on one side. And then on the opposite side, of course, is that uh, the Green Party exists as the negation of two things. The negation, of course, of the corporate duopoly, of the party of war, the party of Wall Street, the party of Big Pharma. Yep. And so on, but on the other end, it exists in oppos- in in negation of uh, socialism, of, of Marxism, Leninism, of mm-hmm. uh, of all the revolutionary movements of the 20th century, and that's really where its weakness lies, right? In right. that a lot of its uh, membership and leadership, you know, there's all sorts of boomers, there's all sorts of millennials and Gen Z people. Right. But these boomers are definitely the hippies of the 60s that did not join SDS, that did not join the local communist group, but also that did not want to just become the the left wing of the Democratic Party or some did for a bit. Right. Right. So they exist in this space where anti-communism is a given in the Green Party, but at the same token, there is no other alternative. Right. And so they're constantly having to to juggle with this reality and trying to push it off, right? And then you see a, a brain drain, if you will, uh, from from the party, right? If you're a young person or even, you know, a middle-aged, older person, but you are becoming more radicalized and you're studying the right. work of scientific socialism, the Green Party doesn't, at this moment, in this you know, model that they have, a circumstance that they're in, does not allow for a Marxist-Leninist movement to grow and, and take over the party, etc. cetera. Uh, and of course, without getting into factionalism, even though I haven't been in the Green Party for years, I, I still mm-hmm. was never the type to break into factions, even though there were factions at every level, right? It was factions oh, at every yeah. level. Like oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like these so are many things. factions. <laughs> but, that, so many but, factions. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 I agree with you. So many factions. Um, I have worked with the Green Party in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and from my understanding, they are the most left Green Party faction I have seen across the United States. Okay. Uh, shouts out to Matthew Ho. He's very left. Um, but like you said, um, with North Carolina, the Green Party of North Carolina that, that ran Matthew Ho, he's no longer a part of them anymore. But I felt like it was a pretty good, uh, idea to have him run for Senate, um, even though I, I I don't know if Matthew Hall considers himself a full-on socialist. I remember that he 
when I spoke to him, he said that he do accept socialist ideas, but you're absolutely right with the Green Party. Um, and the, my thing with the, the left, to be left, you have to be anti-capitalist. You cannot be an effective le leftist trying to support capitalism. It just doesn't work. You know, it's just we that this is why we have the issues that we have right now because we're too busy trying to be compatible. I'm not talking about us, me, me, and you. I'm talking about the Democrats that that are very, very left. That and then the Green Party and and, there, and any other faction of progressives. They're too busy trying to be compatible with capitalism, and they don't understand that it is capitalism itself is the reason why that things don't change. So you have to oppose capitalism. And, and 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 be steadfast in your knowledge of why you oppose capitalism, the contradictions of capitalism, and so you so you can be more effective as a leftist. That might be an opinion that a lot of people won't like, but mm -hmm. seeing it more and more, it's like whatever answers do you have now? You, you the bourgeoisie has won; they have captured the democracy here, and like you said, how they're changing they're they're changing the rules as they go and this is democrat and republicans they are allowed to change the rules of voting as they go they, it's it's that's not true democracy at all <laughs> no no it, it's it it's okay i don't want to take a, a historical nihilist position of saying well, it was never supposed to be a democracy right because yeah, right. in in many ways the founding fathers inspired by the enlightenment uh, and later on, the French Revolution and so on. They were, in their minds, conceiving a better society. And a society that was more representative, that did not depend on artificial or superficial uh, titles of nobility and prestige mm -hmm. and so on. Of course, uh, these carried, you know, racist, genocidal, uh, yeah. all forms of oppressive uh, institutions underneath it. Right? Right. But and here's the caveat I'll give the, to the whole thing. It's that a society that was very oppressive was also ancient Greece, a society in which most people were slaves. Right. And you weren't enslaved because of your race. You were just enslaved because you're not part of the aristocracy of Greece at the end. Right. <laughs> that was terrible, right? And we can say, like, yo, like slavery is always wrong. It's always immoral. Never again. And amen, right? But, right. <laughs> you know, you do, at least historically, you need a group of people that have in their time, in their ability, the ability to, to sit there and think and, and write and draw and, and sculpt and calculate, right, in order to advance the sciences, the arts, culture in general, technique in general, history in general. And so that's not to say, well, that all the everything in that society was good, but it had a good side to it. Now advancing you know the discourse to today the analysis to today right you have on the left people who are anti-capitalist or are socialists right communists mm -hmm. because it makes sense to them right that is to say they've read the history they've read the work and they're like well you know this makes the most sense to me right okay cool they're in the greek you know, aristocratic mindset. Oh, this this makes sense to me. This is all follows logically, but we need more than that. Right. We need people who are not anti-capitalist because, or merely because, they came to the right conclusions, they've read the right books, etc. But rather because it's instinctive in their struggle for survival. 
is instinctive that your manager is yeah. a piece of shit because they've always been a piece of shit, right? Right. The one thing, if all your managers were very good people to you, and then one guy was bad, like, man, that guy, he's an asshole, whatever, right? But if all of them have a inherent interest in contradiction to yours, right? That is a material reality that is reproduced every single day more consistently than anything that humans do. You could be a, a, a very devout Muslim and you wake up at five in the morning or before then to pray to Allah, right? And you fast every day and you sing to Allah. You're the mm -hmm. most zealous Muslim. You, you've been, you've, you've done the pilgrimage, everything. Guess what? Capitalism is more consistent and faithful than you are because capitalism doesn't pray five times a day. It exchanges commodities five times per millisecond. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So it cannot depend on just your sheer will or your sheer salutary to make something happen, but material conditions. Now, I say this uh, only coming at it from the angle of we need a proletarianization of the movement. Yes, we do. Because I also don't want to demean the role of ideology, of morality, the role yeah. of consciousness, of culture. All those things are wonderful, and they are, and they are world-changing things. But yeah. they work on the basis of economics. And, you know, my issue is that with people that think that there isn't a nuance and, you know, it's easier for you to be able to work and organize with someone who is a working class man that it doesn't even have any type of political ideology. But what they see in front of them is the exploitation of their of their labor. And what they're getting out of the deal. The deal is that they're still on food stamps and they're still struggling with their child with their children. So they're they're able to get out into these streets. My issue is with the leaders that you know, like the Margie uh, uh, Brianna, uh Greyjoy, um, you know, like they just they, you know, I, I I don't want I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> But it's like they automatically want to shoot down opportunities of true left blue movements. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they got good points and then they don't. You know, Cornell West is at five percent on the polling. That's a, that's a big deal. That shows that the Green Party is getting shit done with him. Yeah, we should be pushing that more instead of saying, "Oh, but he's not voting blue." Get out of here! They got it captured. The mindset is captured. It's just. It's such a weird time. Like, I mean, I'm only 31 years old, but historically, like, has it really been this black and white uh, with America? Or are we now in the stages where everything is black and white? What do you think? <laughs> what do you mean black and white? Like, contradiction? As in that there's no nuance at all. That people are adding automatically ready to continue to vote for a man that's been in yeah. some form of office since my parents was born. Yeah. And has signed and for every single war crime. He even wrote the crime bill that put a lot of our people in prison that look like us. Like yeah. he's just been such a corrupt asshole. And now all of a sudden he's the savior of democracy. <laughs> well, how many people that were incarcerated by Joe Biden voted for Joe Biden? You know? oh, yeah, that's a good question. Like, yeah. if you, so, you know, in Florida, you really couldn't even vote once you got arrested for a felony. So it, it, your voice didn't even count. The biggest right. uh, voting block, if you will, are people that don't vote. 
right. more independents in America than Democrats and Republicans and all that, right? So, right. and it's true that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are two of the most unpopular uh, presidents in, in American history. I think that that should also be noted. So right. people are, are kind of committed, some people are committed to the anti-vote, which is kind of like the, I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. And I right. think the lesser of two evils is, is the Republican or the Democrat. But a shift has started to occur, even in this logic, which mm-hmm. is a logic of desperation and, and frustration. And it is that now I'm going to vote against the system. That's why, in many ways, the base of the Republican Party is still going to vote for Donald Trump, even mm-hmm. if the uh, establishment, Wall Street, and their lackeys say, well, no, 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 we're going to give you Donald Trump, right? We're going to give you somebody who's like, yo, build a wall, yo, fuck China, uh, Muslim ban, whatever you guys want, right? But this guy is going to be well-measured. He's not going to say that Kim Jong-un is going to be his best friend. He's not going to tweet at 3 in the morning. He's not going to be going through cabinet members like he's changing his socks. This guy, (laughs) he is going to be professional, well-spoken. Think of Obama, but like white and like, you know, just uh, right-wing socially speaking, right? But here's Mm -hmm. the problem. The people didn't vote for that. And that has been one of the greatest uh, misinterpretations I think that the left and the right have done, right? The idea mm-hmm. that Donald Trump voters voted for his social uh, questions and positions is false. Mm-hmm. They voted for him. And I think this guy, uh, man, I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, the guy who made bowling for Columbine, he always wears like, a hat, a cap, baseball cap. Uh, what's his name? Michael... Uh, you look it up, but but anyway, so this guy, he went ahead and um, he said it. He called the, the 2016 elections just a little bit uh, before they happened. Michael Moore, and he said people are going to look at their vote as a. I think he said either like a grenade or a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, they're going to throw it right at the establishment, right? So why yeah. is RFK surging in the polls right now in the Democratic side? Because mm-hmm. he's also that Trump-esque fake populist. And they're trying so hard to even end his campaign, um, even on the ideas of his uh, his uh, opinions on vaccinations, which he's not even running on uh, his opinions on vaccinations. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And I know that political banter and beefs and stuff is just American culture. It's been like this for years. Hell, 1800s, people died. This is how Alexander Hamilton got mm-hmm. murdered. So um, it's just, it's just really like annoying to me. <laughs> but we should move on to the next topic. <laughs> oh, okay. Can I, can I, make, I do want to make one last, one, one last point about RFK because I think yep, it's yep. important to be wishing up. Okay. So, RFK, he claims that some vaccines are linked to causing autism, right? right. Okay, that's very serious. Are right? you telling me I, if I give my kid a vaccine, they may get autism? That's pretty serious. Right? Yeah, pretty serious. I, I, may yeah. skip, I may skip the vaccine because I don't want to get autism. I don't want my family to get autism, etc. right? Okay, cool. So you ask RFK, well, damn, RFK, yo. We're going to do something about that, right? Like, 
like fucking ban some of this shit or, or subject it to rigorous research and we're gonna yeah. make sure that the vaccines no <laughs> does not stand for regulating the vaccines that he claims cause autism. What? Uh... Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> you told me this shit can give me autism. Why, why, why is it in the in the market, right? Like, right, right. And he says, Well, no, no, it's because I am principally a free market guy, no regulation guy. So that means that this guy can be like, bro, this this shit's gonna give you autism. But yeah. we're not going to ban it. We're not going to control gonna it. <laughs> it is what it is. So that's why I don't buy RFK. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. You know, I definitely heard him say that shit. So I was like, God, man, whatever. <laughs> now, uh, Latin America, for people that don't know, all these, all, all these attempts to overthrow governments and stuff like that—it's funded by the U.S. government. It's funded by the CIA. It's funded by Pentagon. And there's been a lot going on that the news is not covering. For instance, what's happening with uh, in Colombia, where there's a, there's been a lot of outrage from the the, the, the oligarchs because they're not gone. All, all all the big oil, the narcos, everybody—they're not gone. They're just pissed. That yeah, that 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 they lost. <laughs> and were you hearing about are you heard any tensions on ground? I know breakthrough news uh uh basically covered this and it freaked me out. Um, do you think that there's a cool rising um in Colombia? Probably, probably, but the deciding factor as to whether it'll triumph or not is the people. Mm. Period. It's the organizations. Is as they would say in Peru, the living organizations, not the dead. You know, NCAA, NAACP type organizations. NCAA might be very alive, um, mm-hmm. but I, I say that because in Peru we had a very shitty coup attempt, right? In right. or coup in general. Right. For example, in uh, in in Venezuela. For the opposition to have a, a snowball's chance in hell of winning elections, they have to unite. And it's tough for them. They ooh, they kick, they scream, they're bitter, they're petty. These are people of no principle, but they know, fuck, if I don't unite, uh, we're going to be. <laughs> and they unite. And then they disunite and insult each other and whatever. I remember one of the funniest things was uh, one of the – one of these uh, Venezuelan right-wing streamers, he told the politician, sir, now that the 40-day quarantine of of COVID-19 has ceased in Venezuela, I ask you to enter another 40-day quarantine. We don't want to see you for another 40 days. And that's how they treat each other, the opposition. But in Peru, they didn't unite for various reasons. The, the principal reason is this. In the Peruvian constitution, because the Peruvian constitution up until like a year ago gives the president tremendous powers to uh, to rule as he as he wishes or as she wishes. Now I guess we have our first uh, female dictator. So well, Dina, know, that's right. We have She's our own Yanin Agnes. <laughs> but uh, because of that, to become president means that you and your party can rob the state. That is what you are mm. supposed to do, right? Mm. You go into the government, you rob, you leave government, and then you go to jail. And that has been 
every single president in Peru since 1985. Like the only guy who didn't go to jail after his presidency was uh, Merino, who may still go to jail anyway because he was mm -hmm. president for like five days. Alan Garcia didn't go to jail right after his first term, but he went to jail after his second term. And everybody mm -hmm. else has been to jail. You have Sagasti. Jailbirds. Who, <laughs> who some people want to send him to jail. He might not make it. He was a transitional president. But everybody else has been to jail. If you were elected president in Peru, you went to jail. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's because you robbed. You stole. You really yep. did steal. It's not even like false charges. It's not fake news. You really did steal. So Pedro Castillo. He found himself in a situation uh, right when he got inaugurated, before the first cabinet was inaugurated, where he could either pick two teams. He could pick the National Political Party, Peru Libre, or he could pick the so-called caviares, right? The, the leftists that are that come from money, they live in Europe and North America, right? and then they hope to give uh, give a little bit of what they have to Peru, right? These are people that come from the oligarchy or want to become part of the oligarchy and so on. So the main argument of them is that, look, Peru Libre is a party that stinks of cholo, they would say, right? Of, of indigenous, dirty peasant, people who are illiterate, who are in, in, uneducated, who have very poor manners, right? Whereas we are, you know, we speak many languages, we are very well educated, uh, and we can, we have the real technical prowess to go ahead and, um, and and lead the state. You know, you can't have some lady who milks cows, like, lead a ministry, like, period. Uh, so in that context, Castillo decided, <clears throat> I'm going to listen to both a little bit, but my closest, like, Eight, my closest uh, assistants, they're going to come from my hometown of Chota in the Andes. Mm. These are the people that I've known since I was like a little kid. And these are the people that I'm going to really trust. Mm. So his, I believe it was his um, brother-in-law became his advisor. And within a couple of weeks, $20,000 were found uh, taped into the inside part of the toilet, you know, where the water is of his office, <laughs> just $20,000 taped in the inside of the toilet bowl, not the bowl itself, but where the water reservoir is, right? And so at that moment, you know, Pedro Castillo could have been like, you're fired or some shit like that. Right, right. But all he did was bring in more people from that circle, the Chota circle, they were called, right? These are people who had very little political principles or interests or inclinations, right? The caviares have a social democratic agenda of, you know, legalizing pot and, and uh, legalizing uh, marriage equality and abortion. I agree with all those things, right? Amen and amen. I'm not opposed to any of those things. Right. But I know that the vast majority of Peruvians uh, signed up for an economic program. And if you can prove that economic program, you can sell people on, on a lot of other things. You know, they don't have to be no. woke. To be like, yeah, okay, if you're a man and you want to marry a man, whatever, who cares? But you now, first this is a planned economy? Huh? Is the economic program something like a planned economy? So the economic program of Peru Libre is called the popular mar uh, the popular economy with markets. That means okay. that Peru does take control of some major industries in preparation for sanctions. 
That is okay. important to know that the Peru Libre plan, the first stage is, okay, we're taking over, and then we're immediately preparing for massive sanctions. Like, mm -hmm. we, we know that the taking over means sanctions. So immediately take over the industries, such as the agricultural businesses and the mines and the gas, in order to be able to withstand sanctions. Peruvian gas, if it's able to be harnessed, has at least the potential to power Peru for 500 years. Jesus. That means that we wouldn't be like Cuba or Venezuela with consistent outages. You have to commit like literal terrorism, like literally bombing like a, a power plant to take out the power, which is not something that the United States wouldn't do, right? I mean, they'll, they'll pay. Well, it makes sense why they're so... Uh interested in peru and ready to in, invade and help out uh dina <laughs> exactly very interested because they have a lot of natural resources most peruvians uh, do work in agriculture most peruvians do uh, you know because of feudalism and semi-feudalism they're generally acquainted as to how to grow their own food so they're not mm -hmm. like unless you live in lima and you've grown there for a few generations okay you you buy your food at the at the market right But a lot of Peruvians would be able to sustain a, a blockade if they're well organized. But mm. Pedro Castillo, he decided that he was going to first um, have an, a caviar minister of the, of the economy, right? This guy named Pedro Franque. And Pedro okay. Franque, Peru Libre objected to Pedro Franque, uh, the leader of Peru Libre, Vladimir Serrón. He said, yo, that guy is like the, the Chicago boys of Pinochet or some shit like He went off on him, right? <laughs> and so Pedro Franque, this guy, was very anti-Peru Libre. Uh, then the attorney general, or rather the minister of justice, uh, that later became the prime minister, he, Aníbal Torres, he was also against Peru Libre. And bit by bit, Pedro Castillo aligned himself more with the Caviares and with the Chota Circle. And when the coup came, the Caviares abandoned him and voted for his ouster. And the Chota Circle ran. I mean, a bunch of these people are like in Bolivia or in the Peruvian um, Brian, which is where the police are not able to reach and so on. So Pedro Castillo, due in part to his own fault, in part to the deficits of the movement, he was able to be cooed. Today, Peru, the Peruvian popular movement can, counts with over like 80% of support almost 90% of support, and yet they can't take down like a, a Mickey Mouse government, a, a shoestring government. They're not able to take that down, even though you have the overwhelming majority of, of people supporting you. And that is because they have, they, there is a real, unfortunate, widespread anti-party sentiment, right? So there's a bunch of little organizations that emerge. I'm sorry, you're muted. As I was muted, I apologize. Um, are the party itself, as in government, or the 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 Peru Libre Party? No, no, or, the or, Peruvian society is against parties. Okay. Oh, so they just don't want parties at all in general. I mean, you It, have mentioned this that there's a lot of different leftist factions within Peru. Everyone's opposing the cool government, but everyone has their own ideas on what needs to be done, basically. In essence, the idea of a party has been delegitimized de by the Peruvian uh, establishment, by the Peruvian Congress, so for, or the Peruvian Constitution. So, for example, okay. let's say you want to you wanna run to be president. You know, let's say you're RFK or, or 
whatever, right? You have to found your own party. You have wow. to have a new party. So a new party comes through. That's why even though Fujimorismo yeah. is, uh, you know, it's a widespread That's why I'm confused. <laughs> corrupt, corruption uh, mafia, there's multiple okay. Fujimorista parties, right? There's, there's the main Fuerza Popular Fujimori party, but there's a bunch of other small Fujimorista parties. And so mm. Peru Libre was founded on a Marxist-Leninist principle of having a party of a new type. That okay. was not a party that was founded, you know, to run a presidential candidate. Peru Libre was founded uh, 14 years ago in uh, in Junin. It became a regional movement that later became a national party. And okay. it started organically at that level. And so the reason why I mentioned that is because unlike Peru Libre, most parties in Peru are just founded by a rich guy that then sells positions in the congressional list. What does that mean? Okay. That means that once I run for president, you know, there's also going to be uh, congressional elections. So you get put on a list. The more money you make, the higher you get on the list. And that list, that means gotcha. that the higher the probability that you're going to end up in Congress. And so you have like local, like a corrupt uh, merchants become congressmen. They don't even know how to talk. They don't even know how to articulate their, their ideas. They're like, <laughs> they're like Sarah Palin and Marjorie Taylor Greene times 20, okay. but a guy, because it's always men because of patriarchy and, and chauvinism in Peru. So, so those guys, on those. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, like, me, me, I think of, yeah, of a, of, of a Peruvian man that speaks like uh, Sarah Palin and MTG and AOC, mm -hmm. honestly, right? Just throwing that out. Yeah. Fire. Anyway. Now we have about seven minutes left. Um, okay. okay, okay. Go somewhere. Yeah, of course. Of course, um, of course. Go ahead. But, but the Peru Libre thing, so as much. I was saying, uh, just to finish up, Peru Libre has yeah, yeah. overcome that tendency in Peru to be very suspicious of parties and, and simply not want to be led by a party. Because guess what? If the people don't have an advanced political organization leading them, it's just protest, protest, protest. And the only weapon that you have at that point is the blood of peasants. And that shouldn't be the only weapon. And what we're looking at is a stalemate, basically. And since there's no progress being done, the United States government has decided to quietly take matters into their own hands and help out Dina? Or are they still... Is that an option that just hasn't been executed yet or it's already happening? Well, you know, the United States supported Dina by not expressing their disagreement with the coup. Okay. And I think that that's by expressing their opposition to Pedro Castillo on several occasions. Um, the OAS, which Fidel called the Ministry of Colonies, never really went out against Dina Boluarte. Yes, they have, you know, on technicalities, being like, bro, this is not legal. You, you can't hold the president in jail. By the technical interpretation of <laughs> right. many jurists, Pedro Castillo is the legal president. Oh, okay. So no. he's still basically. Okay. To this day, okay. and so even the most you know up op optimist caviares will be like, bro, we can get the OAS to like order the liberation of Pedro Castillo and the reinstatement of Pedro Castillo. Mm, I don't okay, think I, do that. <laughs> I, yeah, think, I don't think uh, the OAS do that. 
No, yeah, they're not going to do that. Even though, again, Pedro Castillo was acting completely within the bounds of the law and the Constitution, and the coup government is a bandit government at the behest of uh, imperialism and all forms of banditry, they get to stay unless the people take them down. So in my view, the Peruvian people are in a place where they have to make a decision. Okay. Are you going to follow a party or are you going to take the abuse? Mm, mm. Mm. That's a that's a big deal. And is what is your uh, synopsis of uh, Gustavo's situation mm-hmm. in, in, in Colombia, uh, President Gustavo? Um, do you do you think that he has his days numbered, or if he plays his cards right, he won't be cooled? Because I, the left is yeah. winning, and there's a lot, you know, Zamora Castro. Oh, we got four minutes. So I had to get you on it. <laughs> Zamora Castro up in yeah. uh, Honduras. She has a lot to deal with because the Honduras is led by gangs um, that were propped up by uh, her predecessor, who was a Hillary Clinton uh, friend. And now Hillary go, don't want nothing to do with him because he's about to go to prison for selling cocaine and create a narco yeah. state that she allowed. But you know, Democrats, they just use you until they have no use for you. But so yeah. I'll just say, like, all right, like, is 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 Colombia because Colombia was such a huge part for the right wing. Is Gustavo safe? Like, I'm very concerned about President Gustavo. Yeah, I'm concerned, too. I don't know. Like, the thing is, is that I'm not definitely familiar with the movement in Colombia, mm-hmm. like I am with Peru, being a part of it, being an affiliate of Peru Libre, traveling to Peru, mm-hmm. having family there, and so on, especially family that is very politically knowledgeable on the left. Um, so I can't really speak to Petro as much. All I can say is, is that it's in the hands of the Colombian revolutionary masses. Now, mm. the, Peru- the Colombian revolutionary masses, as far as I'm concerned, have been much smarter than the Peruvian left. I mean, okay. even the FARC, which has com- which committed errors and, and so on, right. even the FARC is much more powerful than any insurgent movement that Peru ever had, including Sendero Luminoso or, or the MRTA. So I want to underscore really? that. Yes, okay. the FARC was able to gain a lot of territory and a lot of legitimacy. One of the reasons why the FARC got legitimacy was because they wore uniforms. So when the shooting started, the army shot at the uniformed guerrillas. And not mm. at the peasants that dress like the Sendero just dress like peasants. So like you could be like, well, that guy looks like one of them. You know what I'm saying? And I think that those things uh, do go a lot, do go a long way. So we'll see what happens. Uh, again, you know, I'm not as familiar, but I'm very hopeful. I mean, we see. Let's also we should look at Ecuador. You know, there's a lot of changes going on in Ecuador. Yes. That the banker president Guillermo Lasso. He resigned in order to call for new elections. Uh, we'll see. Well, not a full resignation, but rather he's going to stay on, I believe, as uh, the electoral process goes forward. Yeah, um, I definitely uh, think there is hope. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I was just so shocked when I heard about that. And I was like, oh, my God. No, no, no. <laughs> not yeah. not Colombia. They just got a breather. <laughs> last thing they need is these right-wingers to come back and try to... That dude Dunque, if I'm saying his name correctly, he yeah. was a butcher. Like, he yeah. should be under 
under the damn jail cell. Him and Bolsonaro, they need to be under the damn jail cell for what yeah. they have done to their countries. Like, uh, uh, it, yeah. it's just, it pains me to, to see that people are still holding on to these ideas over there that, and they saw what happened, but because they're getting their pockets lined, it they just want to stay with that part. Like with, with Colombia, it's very is is very complicated because narco trafficking uh, involves so much of the society, so many right. people that it the there's it's almost an admission of guilt to vote right. for uh, Petro. So you, mm -hmm. it almost takes a mature voter. To be like, damn, bro, let me vote for change. This shit is too crazy. <laughs> I think that should be noted, right? It's very hard right. for a Colombian, not any, not every Colombian, right? But for a lot of Colombians to outright mm -hmm. condemn narco trafficking because outright condemning narco trafficking means outright condemning their brother, their cousin, their neighbor, their teacher. People remember that like pregnant women were working as mules bringing drugs to Miami. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, damn, you're like, fuck, you know, like, if you were a pregnant woman in the late 80s, let's say you were a 20-something, today you're, what, you're in your 50s, right? You're still a voter, but now you're like, damn, I'm really going to vote against what I did, against what I was part of, even if I was mm. forced by circumstance. So I think with, with Colombia, there is that deeper maturity that's needed, and maybe that's part of what's going to help Colombia, whereas in Peru, not every Peruvian was a uh, Fujimorista or not like most Peruvians were not Fujimorista, so they were not like, oh shit, I'm in the I'm in the shit, I'm part of this, you know, right. Right. <laughs> you know, I never looked at it from that perspective. That's a good, that's a good point. You know what I mean? And that's why I'm always able to look at my Western, my my Western bias, my Western American bias, and see that I don't fully get it. And that's why I ask out of, out of sincerity. Like, I don't fully understand that, what a mother had to go through just to provide for her for her family. She mm -hmm. had to be a mule. And it's like, I, I, I couldn't relate to that. So I'm glad that I'm learning on that impact of it because I'm just sitting here like, I'm like, you guys want the right wing back? Like, really? Like, like yeah. that dude was an asshole. <laughs> yeah. But, because it, but it's you. an indictment on, on so much more than just Duke. That's the thing. You're voting against more than Duke. Right, right. Well, let me let you go, Diddy, so you can get back to the great work that you do for the working class people here and abroad. Certainly. Um, again, I am so humbled to have you to take the time out and come yeah. on the show, man. You are definitely a friend of the show, and i definitely looking forward to have you back on. And for everyone that's listening, like, share, comment. Check out the Troka, uh, the Troka Collective. See what work that they're doing out there. Get in, get go be a part of a grassroots movement, people. Get involved. You know that's right. Um, if you got mental health issues and stuff, we're going through some stuff. I understand that, but if you have the capacity, get involved. Um, I want to thank you so a, much for coming on. Definitely. What? No, I have to plug in this campaign real briefly because tomorrow yeah, we're go ahead, brother. at an emergency conference in solidarity with the Tampa Five. These are comrades mm -hmm. from FRSO, Freedom Road Socialist Organization. They are being okay. right now uh, persecuted by Ron DeSantis, uh, fascistic state oh, apparatus. They want to send them to jail for about more than 10 years. So we're mobilizing in solidarity with these comrades. And again, I invite you to look it up. If you're in Florida, get involved. Tampa 5. You can find their information on the FRSO uh, social media for sure. 
Send me that link and I'll put it right in the description when I release the final. I'll send it to you right now. Dale. Okay. All right. See you later, brother. Yeah. Um, Hasta la victoria siempre. Yeah. <laughs> I need to learn freaking Spanish. Vencere. You just gotta say venceremos. Venceremos. Have a good one, brother. You too. <laughs>